Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. That's interesting. Google chose to show your face instead of the intro, which is perfect, actually. <laughs> like a live thumbnail. So welcome, everybody, to the show. I am so excited. I really can't even express it to have uh, Trace here again on the show. So Trace was last back on in March. And Trace is somebody I've respected in the space since before I had this channel when I was early doing my research and diligence into Bitcoin. And I must say the way that Trace was talking about Bitcoin was probably the most intriguing, intriguing and fascinating to me besides probably Andreas Antonopoulos at the time, totally reinvigorated my spirit and gave it more fuel to the fire. And he continues to do that to this very day. So last time we spoke with Trace, we were beginning the cold bear market, the long winter that, that Trace was calling back in March. And wow, lo and behold, yeah, it's freezing right now. Here we are in the thick of it. So we need to get updates from the man himself. Many of you have been re requesting him. He's probably my most requested guest. And so uh, luckily, Trace was able to get back to me within 10 minutes when I asked him for an interview today. So we're going to do it with you guys. Welcome, Trace, uh, to the show. Oh, thanks so much for being with you. You know, I, I've I've loved watching your progression in this whole space, like building your your channel out, like your audience, having people that talk about all this. Like, I, to me, it's just really exciting. You know, I, I remember when uh, we had kind of a little political hubbub in the Bitcoin community, and and I I talked with Andreas about it, and and that like got Andreas to start. T publicly talking about bitcoin and like look where he is now you know he's like really? awesome so yeah you yeah inspired him to start talking about bitcoin yeah we we had had a little a little issue involving roger bear of all people and uh, someone else and i was actually on roger bear's side at the time um so it's interesting how things move around but yeah andreas was uh like vehement about it that he actually like got into the middle of the ring kind of like you've done and like i've done and you know and it, it's a lot of fun so uh yeah i mean it, it's great and and andreas yeah. is kind of the uh you know he he's succinctly captured like not your keys not your bitcoin and so you know that's going to be a little bit of our uh, discussion today right <laughs> yeah actually yeah we can jump into that right away before everything else i'd love to ask you about and i'm sure people are interested in hearing about so i mean what do you mean about private key importance what are you what are you talking about i hear there's something happening on on january 3rd trace yeah so i uh decided to break out the little banner and like uh beat the drum a little bit and like let's see who's gonna show up for this fight on january 3rd a fight oh yeah <laughs> this is a fight over your monetary sovereignty are you like are you some 14 year old kid whose parents like dangle the keys to the car over your head like making you jump through hoops, like you can only withdraw a thousand dollars a day out of your Coinbase account or whatever it is, or do you have control over your money? And we've had a lot of people come into the Bitcoin space 
over the last year. And, you know, they, they just, they haven't been around. They don't know like Mount Gox, like maybe they've heard of it. There've been over, there've been like 50 exchanges that have failed over a million Bitcoins have been lost, you know, because people have kept Bitcoins on trusted third parties that shouldn't have been trusted. And so, you know, people, people kind of need to understand the importance of proof of keys and proof of work. And so why not do it on the Genesis block day? Why not turn this into an annual celebration that we can do as a community and just demand proof of the keys? You know, just, hey, you got any Bitcoins anywhere, whether it's an exchange, whether it's a gambling website, like wherever you're keeping a balance, just withdraw all the Bitcoin from all the services. You know, Mm. it's pretty simple concept and you can always send them back but just prove that they've got them you know that that's our that's supposed to be our credo right like don't trust verify like so you're talking about getting all of our money off of an exchange on one date uh, off of everything whatever we can i assume with withdrawal limits right oh well hey you're gonna learn a, a very important lesson if you go to withdraw some of your money and there's a withdrawal limit you know, and what's the first thing that banks and other financial institutions that aren't credible do? They lower your withdrawal limits. We saw it in Greece. You went from being able to withdraw a thousand euros a day to being able to withdraw 50 euros a day. No, I mean, like, th- this is a big deal. Like, it's all f- like when it when it's sunshiny and nice, like that's a that's a great time to go withdraw your thousand euros. But like if it's a crypto winner and people don't really have the bitcoins or whatever it is, like you're going to find out real quick and you might as well be at the front of the line. Like why be in the middle of the line or the back of the line? You know, and you you want to have the technical competence to be able to do this. So you can think of it kind of like a combat readiness drill. You know, so we, some people might lose money but because of this, right? Unless they're combat ready. Well, if <laughs> if Let's, let's assume that there is an exchange out there and a large enough portion of their users decide that they, wanna, they, wanna, they want proof of the keys. Because th- these are unregulated exchanges. Like Tether doesn't have an audit that's been performed. Like when was the last time a, a large Bitcoin exchange had an audit and published it? You know, and and do, would the auditors even be able to know like how to properly audit Bitcoins? I mean, we, we don't even know. And so... Like, just prove, just prove it. Send the Bitcoins on the blockchain. It's really simple. Like, it, it doesn't have to be difficult. And it's really easy to run software, you know, run Bitcoin Core, encrypt your wallet.dat, make backups several places. Like, you're good to go. Uh, and you can always send the Bitcoins back after they've proven that they've had them because they've sent them to you. You know, so this is this is kind of this is just a little bit of the impetus is get yourself combat ready so that if there were to be any type of a catastrophe in the ecosystem that you're prepared uh, to take possession of the bitcoins yourself. Hmm. Do you think that there would be some sort of issue or maybe we'll see which which exchanges have issues when it comes to withdrawing? Because all of this is going to have, have to happen on the blockchain, I assume. And I mean, we're limited to 2.3 transactions about on the Bitcoin network. And so some withdrawals probably would take a while if they're even processed by exchanges who might, you know, 
try to do like the banks did and, and stop withdrawals for a period of time. Do you think that we can actually get enough support for this? I mean, I'm all about it, man. So on January 3rd, withdrawing all of the crypto pretty much that we have on exchanges, at least the Bitcoin and putting that in our own possession for a period of time. Is that pretty much it? Yeah, well, and I don't think you should limit it just to Bitcoin. I would yeah. say withdraw all of your crypto. Figure out whether you can actually hold this stuff or not. You know, it's a good exercise to go through. Have you read the lawsuit with Michael Turpin and AT&T? He, yeah. he, he kept $25 million of these altcoins on exchanges, right? And lost it. Oh, and that's fun, right? And, and, uh, and they hacked the SIM card engineering-wise, and now he's suing them for basically 10 times that amount to get that money back. Yeah, but, but, but he lost it by keeping it on his phone. Yeah, and, and it's kind of his own fault. And even if he wins the, the lawsuit, like who knows what price they're going to value everything at and how long it's going to take. I mean, people still haven't got their Mt. Gox coins, and it's been like how many years? And so, you know, it, it's it's... It should be, a, I, I think it's a great crypto wide event, you know, because not only do you, not only is it about the keys, you know, holding the keys to the money yourself, but it's also about performing network consensus. And, and what I mean by that is running a full node, like not relying on somebody else's node, because back with Node2x, we saw that BitPay surreptitiously wanted to put in different node consensus software. So you might you might have some coin on an exchange, but if they decide to run a different consensus software, all of a sudden your coin just got changed in its name or in its fork or whatever. And now you got a totally different thing that may or may not be worth the same amount. And so like by doing the actual network consensus yourself, one, you're going to get some technological literacy. You need to know how to attach emails. I mean, come on. Bitcoin's been around 10 years. You need to figure out how to do some of this basic stuff. Um, but by performing that network consensus and demanding possession of the keys from, from organizations and institutions out there, not just exchanges, you know, gambling websites, like anywhere you got, you got coins, you're, you're forcing an economic network consensus mechanism to happen. And that strengthens whatever blockchain uh, it's happening on. So, you know, hey, let's, let's get spin up a bunch of Ethereum full nodes, if you can. <laughs> uh, spin up a bunch of full nodes of Bitcoin Cash or Dogecoin or Litecoin, like whatever altcoin it is that you have, like do some full network consensus, strengthen that blockchain. I mean, you own the coin, you might as well, well, strengthen it, you know? I mean, you yeah. bought the reason, right? Yeah, well, I, I'm all about it. And you said you made a website as well where people can learn more. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, proofofkeys.com. So pr pretty simple. You just like prove you got the keys uh, instead of being a third class Bitcoin citizen where someone else is holding your keys and doing the network consensus. I mean, what we've learned throughout a lot of Bitcoin history and a lot of people have these battle scars is that if you're not holding your own keys and not doing your own network consensus, you're eventually going to get wrecked really bad. And so like, now's the time to do it. You know, you don't, you're not under a time constraint. You're not under time pressure. You're not afraid of like the exchange failing or anything like that. It's for all intents and purposes, these exchanges have likely been doing a lot of hard work over the last year. 
you know, like Coinbase has been moving coins around, like testing their new systems and processes because we had a huge influx of new users. Like, let's test all of these systems and make sure that everything's working and ready to go so that, hey, you know, we might be we might have another bull market coming around eventually. Uh, we hope so. Right. And when that happens, we might have a lot more people coming into the space. And so you just want to you want to be able to be of usefulness and helpfulness to them also. And you have to have that technological literacy in order to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's maybe not as easy to run a node right now as you know we might want for the mainstream. And that's perhaps why we see a lot of centralization of people you know, outsourcing what they should be doing themselves over to third parties and exchanges and, and keeping their funds on Coinbase or whatever, instead of learning how to run a full node, which is yeah. pretty difficult, right? I mean, on Ethereum, uh, one terabyte to download the whole blockchain on Bitcoin. I don't know, multiples of that. No. Well, no. I mean, Ethereum's uh, good luck. Do, good luck doing it with that, right? But Bitcoin Core, you know, go to BitcoinCore.org. It's like a hundred and you know, hundred sixtieth gigabytes. Last I checked, it's actually pretty simple. You know, you can download the software, you launch it. Like, you know, now it's running. You let it sync. It takes about the hundred sixty gigabytes, maybe a couple days. And then you're able to encrypt the wallet and then make backups of the wallet dot that, you know, and, and the passphrase. I mean, we're talking, this should not take you very long, 20, 30 minutes. And you what know? do you think about light clients? Or do you have any good software for that? Do you, do you support that well, at all? Well, the light clients aren't doing the network consensus like fully, right? So you're not, you're not getting that proof of work. You know, this is about proof of keys and proof of work. And that proof of work, you need to validate it all with software you control. That way, you're not going to rely on somebody saying, oh, your Bitcoin, it's actually the real Bitcoin, which is this Bitcoin SV or whatever, right? It's like, no, 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 no. I want the real Bitcoin. <laughs> like, I want the one worth $3,500, not the one worth $80. And yeah. that, that, that's what you're at risk when you're not doing your own network consensus. Is somebody else defining what the Bitcoin is for you. Yeah, absolutely. You should be finding the, you know, doing your research on what homework as well and not and, and downloading the full blockchain so you're validating the transactions yourself. I totally agree. And you know what? I want to want to flip around here, Trace. What's going on? We had this this huge winner. You kind of called it back in March. You said kind of strap in. It's a time where people got weeded out. And over this past week, how many companies were announced as laying off employees? Consensus, uh, Spank Chain. We just heard Bitmain Tech Israel closed down yesterday. Uh, it, it's happening. So how what, what do you think about this winter? What, what kind of players are being weeded out? Who do you think is going to be left? And how much longer do you think this winter is going to last? Well, yeah, how long it'll last, I mean, nobody knows, right? Who's got the crystal ball? Um, the previous one was like 1,100 days. We're 380 days into this one. So it's been pretty, pretty decent, like pretty decent winter. Uh, but there's a lot of big institutional money starting to move in. Uh, I actually got, I got an email from from one of my colleagues in the space, they had a hundred thousand bitcoins that they wanted to sell. See if I knew someone who might want to buy them. I contacted somebody uh, that was a legitimate buyer. They're not very many of those, right? Like almost half a billion dollars. And I got back to him three days later. The hundred thousand bitcoin had all moved within three days. Like, I mean, that's some serious OTC volume, uh, and. Yeah. So, I mean, how long it's going to last? What we're seeing is we're seeing a changing of the guard. And, you know, I, I did an interview with Max, uh, Max Wright and G. Edward Griffin 
kind of in the middle of the previous winter. And in there, they asked me, oh, well, how low could it go? And I was like, oh, it might go to like 300 bucks. But if something really bad happened, like Mount Gox failing, maybe it would go to like 200. Well, it went to like 182 because Mount Gox failed. And I, I think a lot of people don't fully understand some of the mechanics like these exchanges, if they're getting hacked or losing their Bitcoins or they're running at a loss or whatever, it gets very, very tempting to dip into the customer assets because they've got control of them and they don't have to do audits and they don't have to like prove their reserves and they don't have to prove the keys that they hold or any of that stuff. And so like they get themselves behind, you know, because then the Bitcoin price starts running, but they can't make the earnings like to recover those balances. Bitfinex, I guess, sort of did it with the 72 million that they lost, uh, but I wouldn't bank on it, you know, and I definitely wouldn't trust these exchanges with that. And so as the bear market continues to grind away and companies that aren't cash flow positive and profitable as they're burning through their treasury balances, making payroll and stuff like that, I think we're going to see more belt tightening. You know, you mentioned consensus. They laid off 13% of their staff. Bitmain. Bitmain's supposed to be a giant in the space, right? Like why'd they close down a, an office with just like 25 employees in it when they got 2,500 employees? Well, because if this price like hangs around $3,000 a Bitcoin for another six months or so, it might exterminate a whole host of these companies. You know, which I think would actually be kind of a good thing, you know, because then we reallocate the capital, shift the assets around uh, to stronger hands, and then it builds a solid foundation going forward. But it can be very, very tough on the companies that are there. And if any of them are being custodians, there's just this huge temptation to dip into customer assets in order to save the business just this once. And man, it's just, it's, I don't want to play in games with my money. You know, I don't want to make a payroll with my money. Otherwise, I would have invested in their company. Yeah. Um, and we're definitely seeing trouble that they're going to have raising funds. I mean, their IPO looks like it's in a little bit of trouble, specifically Bitmain. So maybe, you know, maybe they reached peak Bitmain <laughs> right now. And if this bear market continues much longer, who knows how much more downsizing we'll see, even across some of these big companies. It's it's kind of a, it's definitely a reorganization of the whole space in some sort of ways. And you're going to see maybe new players come out on top. It's like our own internal wealth transfer. Oh, yeah. And we, it happened last time. Like KNC Miner literally declared bankruptcy. And then like two to three weeks later is when the Bitcoin market turned. You know, so, oh, man. <laughs> so, so the market has a way of just wringing out every last Satoshi in a most painful way possible, moving them to strong hands. And then after you know, all the carnage and all the, all the layoffs and everything, then the market can turn, you know, we need yeah. mass capitulation and, you know, hodlers of last resort, guess what? They're, they're trading on ledger X and they're selling covered calls at like 50,000 strike prices for December. And so they're hodling more Bitcoins during the winter. Oh, man. I, I, will, I totally want to get into that. I mean, I was watching your interview on portfolio wealth global and you're talking about how you're using, you know, options now on ledger X and, and maybe this is one of the ways to protect your Bitcoin. And so, uh, 
yeah, maybe that is one of the better ways. Do you want to explain real quickly? And I apologize, guys. It looks like YouTube is having stream issues. I'm hearing all across the chat, all live streams happening across YouTube today. People seem to be getting like rewinds and issues. Lowering the resolution might help, I'm seeing, for some people out here. But uh, it's not really on our end. It seems to be YouTube's issue right now. And hopefully when they actually encode the stream later on, you'll be able to watch it just fine. That's, that's the hope. But um, try lowering the le resolution. So, uh, Trace, what are options? What is Le LedgerX doing? Uh, and why, why might that be a good way to go long Bitcoin? Yeah, so LedgerX is a swap execution facility and a derivatives clearing organization. They're regulated by the CFTC. They trade fully collateralized Bitcoin derivatives. So you have a next day swap, and then you can also trade puts and calls of varying strike prices. And I mean, this is where the big boys trade. You have to have a minimum of like $10 million to be an ECP to have an account on there. And, you know, this is designed for institutions. Uh, and I mean... That's that's what's happening. Like backed Eris Exchange, Fidelity, Nasdaq, like all the big boys are launching these these. You know, Ledger X is the first one, but these big boys are going to be launching very similar products. And so you you know we're going to be able to see that this derivative pricing and what it what it does is it helps cement the six network effect of financialization. And then also settlement currency, because now you've got the ultimate collateral. You've got Bitcoin as the collateral that's strictly limited in amount that you can sell very high out of the money strikes and collect premium. And so hodlers of last resort can just keep acquiring more Bitcoin. So, so, so it's pretty much like the, the option to buy or sell at a certain price in a future date, right? So uh, yeah. Like you were saying, maybe the $5,000 Bitcoin 2020 level was interesting. Um, so basically, I would have the option to buy Bitcoin at $5,000 at the year 2020. Is that pretty much what it is? Yeah. So so you got different elements of the contract. One's the strike price, so $5,000. Then whether it's a call or a put, so a call is the right to buy it. A put is the right to sell it. You know, like you wreck your car, you want to put it to the insurance company at the value it was before you wrecked it, uh, you know, and then you've got the date of expiration. So usually these expire uh, at the end of month and you and then, you know, they've got they've got strike. They've got uh, contracts all the way out till June of 2020. So like I, I actually got some uh, June 2020 5K call options. So I have the right to buy Bitcoin for $5,000 in June of 2020. And you're able to, you don't tie up nearly as much capital. You know, you want to buy a whole Bitcoin, it's $3,300. But if you want to buy one of these call options, it might be like $1,000, you know, for a June. And that's, that's almost a year and a half out after the happening, right? And so it's a way that you can, you can use less capital to have greater upside or maybe you can protect your gains by buying puts or you can you can buy bitcoin at a cheaper price by selling a put so then you get the premium and say you sold a 3000 bitcoin put and you got $300 a commission then you're effectively acquiring the bitcoin for $2700 so if you've got lots of US dollars sitting around and you don't necessarily want to buy a bitcoin you can actually earn yield on those dollars by selling the puts if you're happy to get the bitcoins and the premiums are because of the volatility the premiums are about 40 to 50% annualized wow so it's a really great way to stack up your bitcoin 
you think it's yeah. better than margin long or anything like that of course well yeah what why i like why i like it as opposed to like margin is that you're trading fully collateralized so one is you know assuming that they're, they're, the CFTC audits are all accurate and everything, then they have all the dollars and they have all the Bitcoins, you know, and the CFTC is in there like a roto-rooter, you know, giving them a colonoscopy uh, on a regular basis. Uh, I was there and I think there were like nine people from the CFTC doing an audit. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that, that gives me some assurance. It's not just some ragtag like finance operation, right? Or like tether operation. <laughs> um, but, you know, since they're fully collateralized, you you know exactly how much risk you're taking on, mm. you know, because the worst that could happen is you sell your Bitcoin at a certain price or you buy Bitcoin at a certain price, depending on if you bought or sold the call. Right. And, and does, does there still have to be somebody on the up on the opposite side of that trade? Like, is somebody oh, really yeah. going to be betting against 5K Bitcoin in 2020? Oh, yeah. Actually, the reason I bought I bought the, the the call options was because somebody there's an electronic pit. So it's kind of like open outcry where you're like, Hey, I want to do this or I want to sell that or whatever. And he actually wanted to sell 5k Bitcoin in June, 2020. And so I was like, well, how, how much are you charging for that? And we kind of came, came to an agreement on a price. And I was like, yeah, like I'll, I'll buy them. <laughs> like, why not? Right. I have these dollars that I got from selling, people the right to buy Bitcoin in December for $50,000 strike, they're going to expire worthless. So, you know, might as well take that premium and and try to acquire more Bitcoin with it. And I guess I'll be a little speculative. I mean, it's, it's fun, right? And I mean, a lot of people, yeah, I'm a hodler of last resort, but I think it's fine to carve off a little bit of Bitcoin here and like trade with it. You know, you need to have your solid position that you'll never move out of ever, period. And then, you know, you can play based on what the mayor multiple does. You know, Bitcoin's at 0.52 on the mayor multiple. What is this mayor multiple? Well, that's where you take the, the current price divided by the 200-day moving average, and it gives you a multiple, right? And 98% of the time, it's higher than 0.52. So just if Bitcoin corrects back to normal of like a 1.0, you're looking at $6,500 Bitcoin which would put those 5k strikes $1500 into the money. Right? So so like, you know, and when it's really high, like when it's 3.7x like it was in December, guess what? Somebody sold sold the 50,000 December strikes, so one year out, they sold them for $3600 a bitcoin. That's insane, man. Right? Because <laughs> the volatility was so high. I mean, those are going to expire worthless. But yeah. I mean, it was an it was a nine hundred ninety thousand dollar trade in terms of option premium because there were two hundred seventy five fifty k strike options at thirty six hundred dollars a piece. And so, so, oh, so, go ahead. Oh, so so this helps you kind of stay stay sober in a kind of way, keep your head on. How do you do it, Trace? Because every I mean, people were buying these options because everyone was so bullish. New paradigm. It's gonna. Con- continue to soak all the money out of the world max kaiser was saying this uh you know be a black yeah. hole once we get the institutions come the end of this year and well, then I, I coined the black hole phrase but oh. um, <laughs> no i mean like so so here's the deal the world is rethinking what money is it's dollars it's gold or maybe it's this bitcoin thing or maybe it'll be something else with with these options you know people could actually both win in the transaction depending on the lens that they're looking through. 
Maybe you're looking through a dollar lens. Maybe you're looking through a Bitcoin lens. Because think about it. You, you've got whoever sold those 50K strike uh, options, they had to lock up 275 Bitcoin. And, and it was like $15,000 a piece. Well, that, that's gone from 15000 to 3000 And so that $3,600 option premium you know, doesn't necessarily look so good measured in dollars. But if they took that $990,000 and bought Bitcoin, you know, now they've acquired almost the entire amount of Bitcoin that they put at stake. So they're up 100% in Bitcoin without risking losing their Bitcoin position and less getting called out at 50K. <coughs> Meanwhile, Ari Paul, who sold the, who bought the, the call options, he actually said that he sold Bitcoin in order to buy them. So in terms of dollars, even though his options are going to expire worthless, he's still very profitable on the trade, measured in dollars. So like, you know, so th this is a very difficult situation we're in, because if you don't have any Bitcoin, like you could get, I mean, Bitcoin can move like that, right? It can move really fast. That's why you have to have a hodl of last resort position. But then, you know, you want to be able to trade a little bit when the mayor multiple gets very outside of standard deviations, showing that Bitcoin is expensive or cheap relative to past performance. You know, and that then you might be like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll sell the, the Bitcoin at 15K, buy the, the strikes, you know, to hedge that upside risk, but lock in the gain, but not do it in a way that you're, you're going to get margin called. Because that's what you you don't want to get margin called. Because these exchanges, I mean, they just seem to have a lot of fun margin calling people and just yoinking all their money, right? Yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to manipulate. I was, I would assume for sure. Yeah, I, well, since they're fully collateralized, you're not you're not dealing with a lot of risk of settlement. Like, look at OKX. You know, they've got like this insurance fund, but sometimes they honor it or don't honor it, and sometimes the the trade actually pays out the way it should, but other times it doesn't. When there's when someone gets wrecked massively, right? Like there's none of that on Ledger X, and probably not going to be any of that on like Backed or uh, Eris Exchange or these other ones that the CFTC is going to be regulating. And what we might see as a result of this, especially if big big money is coming in and trading on these other exchanges, institutional money, you know, like Harvard's endowment or Yale's endowment or pension funds or whatever, is price discovery might move. From the Bitfinexes and the OKXs and the Binances of the world to these more trusted, regulated exchanges, you know, where because Harvard Endowment's not going to trade on Binance, like it's just not going to happen. And so, like they they they're going to want to trade on a regulated exchange like this. And so, if price discovery moves, uh, it, it, these other these other exchanges they could really be caught with with their shorts not on, you know, when the mm. tide. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to get, you know, if these institutions are going to be wanting to trade on these exchanges, right, and it's not going to be $100 billion, it'll be a trillion dollars or more than that. I mean, why wouldn't that be where we get price discovery and perhaps some sort of Bloomberg terminal consensus on price eventually that everybody actually looks like while the space matures into what you call the sixth ne network effect, right? Thanks, Zani, by the way, for the donation. Yeah, I mean, and that's what and that's what we're talking about. Like, hey, this is just the natural process. I laid out these seven network effects years ago. Like, it's just we finally are like this is Ledger X, which has been around for a year, has been proof of concept for the CFTC and hasn't blown the the financial system up yet worldwide. Like the 
CEO of Interactive Brokers was squawking about when CME Futures got launched, right? Like, so like, why not approve more of these if there's demand from market participants, except this time it's going to be the owners of New York Stock Exchange and ICE. I mean, these are the largest, deepest exchanges in the world that are going to be like trading Bitcoin derivatives. I, I It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, Bitfinex or Kraken or Coinbase or any of these guys are actually able to compete with them. Yeah. I, I love, by the way, Trey, so you can dig into all the dirty, you know, it's not just superficial. I mean, you've done some homework, you've done these options, you've studied what kind of effect these institutions will have, but I want to just zoom out a little bit for the people we might be losing. So what are these six net, what, what are these network effects? Is this the last one institutions coming in? What do you mean by network effects? Yeah. So the first is speculation. Uh, Satoshi put it elegantly, like we're able to transfer value over a communications channel you might want to get some just in case it catches on. It could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> well, you know, you start speculating on this magic internet money, thinking it might go from five cents when I started publicly talking about it to $5,000 or $20,000 or... I got to change I, the title. It says a dollar. A dollar, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually less than that. And then, you know, and it and I was the first person to put out a $2.8 million price target on Bitcoin. First, first seven-figure price target. Why? You know, and I laid out the case with offshore bank accounts. And Bitcoin, in a lot of ways, is far superior because you can prove you have the keys with Bitcoin. You know, what recourse you got if, like, the shady Antigua bank or, or whatever, like, steals your money, <laughs> you know? So... You know, so first is speculation. Second is merchants and cons merchants, and third is consumers. Merchants are going to accept Bitcoin because speculators have them. Consumers are going to use Bitcoin because merchants accept them. You know, credit cards are only good in like fifty-five countries. Overstock takes Bitcoin. They could ship to two hundred countries with UPX. So you know, Amazon has just seeded entire countries and not even competed there. You know, Bitcoin enables competition in this type of an area. Sure, we need advancements like Lightning Network for scalability, but hey, it's coming because Bitcoin is extensible. You know, so fourth network effect is the miners or the security. You know, you want to build on the most secure blockchain. And then developers, you know, that are going to build out the extensibility, they're what what blockchain are they going to work on? The one that's got the most network effects. Why? So that their code actually sees the light of day. And companies, you know, companies aren't trading options on Dogecoin, you know, so all these network effects exponentially reinforce each other. And so then the sixth network effect is going to be financialization. That's where you you intertwine the pipes with the legacy monetary system, you know, with things like Ledger X, Bact, etc. And then seventh network effect, world reserve settlement currency. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about what is the risk-free asset? What's the asset with the lowest risk profile? Well, when you can hold the keys to yourself and you can perform your own network consensus and you can pay 10 cents to verify a $100 million transaction with 100% accuracy, you don't have to melt gold bars down and recast them or assay them or anything like that. Bitcoin is equity-based. It's nobody's liability. You know, what's the risk-free asset? Oh, is it that that US dollar thing that's not limited in amount and the supply is determined behind closed doors and like this 
unaccountable, unelected organization like starts changing the cost of it with interest rates and everything. Oh, and they can just seize it at any time. Like, why would that be the risk-free asset? You know, mm-hmm. so the world's the world's rethinking what is going to be the risk-free asset. What's going to be the world reserve settlement currency? And you know, Bitcoin's in the ring. You know, and it's been around ten years. Like, what's the next ten years going to have for us? And so, all these network effects help reinforce each other. And like, backed in their press release, they talked about Starbucks and Microsoft being partners in this. Well, if let's say Fortnite wants to have Bitcoin flowing through it for microtransactions, and then Starbucks wants Bitcoin flowing through it to pay for coffee. Well, Microsoft and Starbucks, they're going to need to hedge the exchange rate volatility relative to the dollars. Well, guess where they're going to go to do that? Backed and Ledger X. And they're going to use these derivatives to do that because they're measuring in dollars, not in Bitcoins. You know, And so meanwhile, the people who are measuring in Bitcoins, they can be selling the volatility. You know, and and acquiring more bitcoins, and it could be win win, kind of like we talked about with that fifty thousand k strike option. So you know, this is this is a very exciting time because we have so much financial innovation that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can see it, but there, I mean, there are people who are also kind of hesitant to get into crypto. Obviously, there's a lot of fear happening right now. Trace, we have institutions coming. I mean, we're hearing about all these products, but everybody is at maximum fear. It seems like right now. I mean, like they seem like everyone's throwing in the towel. Capitulation is the new name of the game. All these layoffs. So, I mean, w- w- well, let's talk about some of the reasons Bitcoin might not work. Let's let's see. Well, there's a halvening coming up, and many people expect, you know, by 2020 that'll boost the price up. But doesn't actually that lend the potential for the security of the network to go down, Trace? Because there'll be less incentive to mine. There'll be only 6.25 Bitcoins mined every single block, divvied up amongst the same amount of miners. That means that, you know, I'm making less profit. I'm going to have to shut down. Is there potential that some other forces, maybe even a government come out there, buy up all these miners everyone's selling and take control of over 51% of the network? Or is there potential for maybe some player already in the game to do this? And what kind of effect would that have socially into the future on the perception of Bitcoin or the security of it? Yeah, well, first, like 51% attack can't really do much damage if you're holding your own keys and doing your own network consensus. And the hash rate fluctuates as a normal part of the business cycle. You know, we, we've seen, I mean, there's turning off lots of miners right now. BitMEX put out an article, they estimated like 1.6 million Ant Miner S9s have been turned off. Like this is great. It weeds out the 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 less healthy ones, uh, financially healthy ones. We would be a lot more worried about this if we haven't had any happenings. I remember when the first happening happened. Went from fifty to twenty five. You know, we're all like, "I hope this thing works." <laughs> you know, some people some people even sold their bitcoins before it. You know, because they were worried about it. Then they had to reestablish their position. But by then, the price started running. So they didn't get quite as many Bitcoins because they got shook out, right? So, I mean, being a hodler of last resort, it it takes a lot of, it takes conviction. You know, it just, it's just what you're going to have to do. And a lot of people are like, oh, like if I had only heard about Bitcoin when it was a dollar or $5 or $200, I would have bought it. Well, okay, maybe, but you probably would have sold it too, you know? And, and if you really believed in it, you'd be buying it right now. You know, you'd be looking at these low prices as a gift because you're able to acquire more Satoshis at a lower price. 
you know, so I mean, as a hodler of last resort, I actually I love the bear markets because we're able to acquire Satoshi's at a lower price. We're able to acquire equity and Bitcoin companies at a lower price. We're able to do mergers and, and acquisitions. And I mean, it, it's a it's a wonderful time for people who have strong hands and and aren't forced sellers. I think there are a lot of hedge funds probably that are forced sellers because they're LPs or or whatnot or putting pressure on them you know, because they don't have that conviction. Uh, but hodlers of last resort, they got that conviction. And so they're in buying it when it's cheap. Yeah. And the longer you're in this game, the more conviction you have. You also right. mentioned in, in that other interview, something about what was it a uh, 30% drop in was it an hour, 10 minutes? Oh, yeah, that I remember that that was like March of 2013. I think it was uh, there was inadvertent hard fork that was caused from like, a like a database issue bug or whatever that Mike Hearn, it was his first commit to Bitcoin, you know, and, and Mike Hearn stomps off and like Bitcoin's going to crash. I sold all my Bitcoins and it was like, what, a couple hundred bucks. That's it's like the day that I bought, I had just been following markets and I was like, something crazy just happened in Bitcoin. This is when I'm going to start buying. Mike Hearn had left for R3, which is the bank yeah. consortium working with Ripple now. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. Fear over nothing. It's like all your bitcoins, Mike. Uh, but yeah, so his first commit and and when that for like when it happened, I mean that that shook confidence quite a bit, and it it was like thirty percent down in ten minutes, you know. And but it happened at like three o'clock in the morning or something, uh, Western time, and and it had already been patched and fixed by the time most people woke up, and and it wasn't even a bump in the Bitcoin network, you know, like everything just functioned as as normal as it could after the patch got got fixed and rolled out and so you know that's that's the volunteer fire department right like that's the that's the bitcoin militia like something happens and all of a sudden all these text messages and and phone calls start happening and then people are swarming and they're like figuring out what the problem is and, and then the fix and how to roll it out like you know what happens when bank of america gets hacked like they, they try to hide it as long as possible you know, because it, it'll take three to five percent off their market cap it, when a when a security incident is disclosed. Like those you know? like those hotels, right? Uh, yeah, the, the hotels. Hotel. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, one, they try to hide it. Uh, and and even if they're able to hide it and it doesn't get disclosed, it still costs an average of eight to ten million dollars. Dude, they hit it for five years. That's insane. Uh, Starwood <laughs> Hotel Groups, which owns like every hotel you've ever visited, probably at least at some point in that time, hacks for passports, licenses, oh, yeah, uh, and flight okay. information. Wow, man. I, I wonder. Hit uh, it. <laughs> I, I wonder how many exchanges out there are hiding the fact that they've been hacked and they don't have proof of keys. You know exactly. what I mean? Like. It, Otherwise, they'd have to shut down and give people back a fraction of their money. Oh, we can just make it back if if we're able to earn it, you know, with commissions. It's like, man, like a second layer of gambling with other people's money. I mean, there's just there's just so much of that that's gone on in this space for so long. And, you know, if we do this on an annual basis, we're able to help teach new people coming in what what to do. We're able to stimulate the discussion. We're able to flex our muscles as hodlers of last resort. Yeah. And okay. So one other thing, you know, I had, a, I had somebody hit me up on Twitter yesterday and they were freaked out. They're like, well, could Bitcoin go to zero? And in, I mean, I want to know what your response is. What, what would be the thing that could take it to zero? I had my answer. 
and I'll <laughs> let you know after. <laughs> Which uh, you know, I think Bitcoin can go to zero for you personally, but if you like capitulate and get out and get shooken out and wrung out of the market, personally for you it's zero, right? And you'll probably miss the boat, and then you'll get bitter about it, waiting for uh, for it to go backwards and try to buy, and you might miss it. Which is why you kind of want to follow this stuff. Uh, you know, daily or whatever you want to do. But um, what, what do you think could be the, uh, the Achilles heel for Bitcoin? Well, I mean, maybe extermination of the human race, right? Extinction, because then you wouldn't have anybody to subjectively value it. The, the problem is that as long as Bitcoin survives, it will have a value from somebody, you know? And so it's very difficult to get it to go to zero. I mean, these blockchains are incredibly resilient. I mean, look at, Look at Dogecoin, like at bottom of this bear bear market winter, and it's just humming along at, like normal. Like you know, the the network itself is not under any particular threat. And I mean, look at Vertcoin. You know, it's been fifty one percent attacked and like all types of messes and stuff going on with it. It's it's already a tiny coin as it is in terms of market cap. Like it's not at zero. I mean, even if there's an inflation bug. You know, that might not even take it to zero because it would still be around, right? It would just be lots of it. And so, like, it, it's a, it's very, I mean, it has to be some type of massive catastrophic network wide failure to take it to zero, but it's been operating around for 10 years. And Bitcoin, remember, it's backwardsly compatible. We do soft forks, not hard forks. And so, even when new, updates get rolled out by bitcoin core a lot of people continue running the old software you know it's like a safety preventative type problem in case there's a problem in the new software so that makes the network very very resilient um so i mean been around 10 years every day that goes by is another day of confidence that it's going to be it's going to continue to be around that's fair. My only thought was basically in line with what you said, that the worst thing could be quantum computers made by the government figure out how to reverse private keys and take everybody's money. Other than that, I can't really see it, you know. And even so, you could probably offload Bitcoin to somebody in the world willing to buy it. People buy feathers, you know. You could find feathers on the floor and sell it to somebody in Bahamas by putting it around a string, you know. People yeah, will but, buy stuff. but even like even even if the the signet, you know, the private key the private keys aspect, I mean, we could have different signature types like Schnorr, right? So, I, I mean, even that is like, I, I mean, Bitcoin is just so resilient. Like, let's say there were a problem with Exter Shaw, like we just rolled different cryptographic primitives in there. Uh, I mean, look what we did with Libsec256KP, uh, P1. So, I mean, it's, that it's a very like Bitcoin just so anti-fragile. It's such a honey badger. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. It's true. I mean, we'll just go back to the old software, reorganize it, make make perhaps a new kind of algorithm for mining that they don't have control over, might be more resistant, and then keep chugging right along. This is like a virus that refuses well, to die. Yeah, well, and hey, and hey, like Got to give credit where credit's due. The Bitcoin Cash developer that found the bug in in Bitcoin software, the inflation bug. But look how quickly the the Bitcoin core developers got it fixed, and then the patch rolled out and updated with the miners. So yeah, I thought I, it was very transparently done as well. Like yeah, and then afterwards it was disclosed and and everything. And so you know, I mean, this is just it's really quite amazing. You know, when you're 
yeah, we're in totally uncharted territory. We're innovating with new science and new computer science and cryptography and applied financial cryptography, stuff like that. But at the same time, we're doing it in a very, very cautious, conservative way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I wanted to ask you on, a, on another note, dominance for Bitcoin. So we, I mean, you were known as like an uber Bitcoin maximalist um, who mostly, no, I am. <laughs> yeah. Do you, what, what, what are you still a Bitcoin maximalist? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've always like until until you're able to give me a logical, objective argument to the contrary. Uh, I mean, I got an open mind. I wouldn't be in Bitcoin if I didn't, right? But like, I mean, I laid out those seven network effects. If if you're gonna like assert it could be something else, like you know, persuade me. Like, bring it. You know. Um, and I, and I just don't see anything else out there on the horizon that that could threaten like Bitcoin's network effects and its dominance. And even if it even if there is something and it proves itself being battle hardened in this type of adversarial environment with actual economics at stake, well, if it proves itself, we'll just take the good out of it, strip it out, merge it into Bitcoin Core, leave the stuff that's not helpful, and then we got all the good stuff from whatever that project is. So, I mean, that's how that's how this open source stuff works. You know, Bitcoin's under the MIT license, you know, Bitcoin Core. That means like there are no IP restrictions on that code. And that makes it so much more resilient. Absolutely. But, but what we tend to see kind of through history is that basically the dominance drops once the market cap starts going up. So we've seen market cap yesterday. The dominance on Bitcoin was 55%. It's definitely been slowly moving up as we've had a bear market. Um, do you think that it's possible through repeated bear markets and bull markets that eventually it goes to zero and maybe something else takes its place or whatever? Maybe uh, not zero. Well, one, one, I don't think market cap's like the best measure to be looking at or using. Yes. I wanted to and, ask you about that. Why do yeah. people say market cap is not the right measurement? I would love for you to explain that. Well, I mean, like you could look at, look at Ripple XRP, you know, they, they sell a bunch of it, but then they have lockup agreements. So people can't actually move that on the market. And then the vast majority of it, it it's been being held in Ripple Labs's uh, treasury account. And then they pay $60 million to have market makers like, you know, make a bid on there. Well, that can inflate the the market cap because there isn't very much float. Like Bitcoin, you know, sure, some of the Bitcoins might be lost, but at the end of the day, there are no restrictions on any of the Bitcoin. And once they get issued out of the out of a Coinbase reward, like they're they're out in the world to be spent, right? And so so I like to look at a different instead of looking solely at market cap, I like to look at buy support. Like how much buy support is there on exchanges? And OTC and Bitcoin right now, looking at coinmarketbook.cc, Bitcoin's got $189 million of buy support and uh, Bitcoin Cash has $1.4 million of buy support. Wow. That's an interesting metric. Yeah. And so it's like, if I were to, you know, if a hodler of last resort was like, how many dollars could I get out of my position with? You know, if I dumped all of it on the market right now, like how much buy support is there to buy it? And, you know, so I, I like looking at that a little bit more because that shows what people are actually betting with their money, like in real time. You know, what are what are the orders on the order book that you could hit? You know, so, you know, I kind of I like looking at that instead. And then also like 
daily liquidity and daily volume. I mean, Bitcoin's like $5 billion a day and probably another 12 to 15 billion on OTC markets. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's a very deep capital market. If Bitmain wants to sell 100,000 out of their million plus B caches, like who's going to buy those at current market prices? Like, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you definitely need that support. I did want to, I, I was researching a little bit about Ripple and the amount of Ripple in circulation and what's on coin market cap and the price. And definitely if there was some locked up, that might play a factor into the price. But I did hear that they're only calculating what's actually circulating and not what's the next escrow for Ripple. So it might be fair, but I actually don't consider Ripple an actual, you know, public cryptocurrency. It can be used as that. But at the end of the day, I kind of see it like Ripple, the company is offering a security here. And I don't don't know, it just doesn't seem I don't really care if it's number two, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and and it definitely, you know, security issue, and maybe they should be an administrator under FinCEN guidelines. uh, Because you know, they can freeze like any balances on there and stuff like that. I mean, like, you know, so no, just because it, it's a token with like a trading symbol on some altcoin exchange does not mean that they're all equal. Like these are all different things. And we're seeing with the SEC and the ICOs, like, you know, you, you want to clearly be a commodity if you want to be, you know, regulated under CFTC. If it's clouded, like, you know, that that starts impeding exchanges being able to list it because then they're listing unlicensed, unregistered securities, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting space that we're in, you know, assuming they, they even have the keys to the tokens that they claim they have <laughs> that yeah. they're listing. <laughs> sure. So um, I wanted to ask you, some people are very interested. Ken Bozak, shout out to Ken, wants to know your thoughts on stable coins and what role they play in the big picture for the long term. I mean, and I did want to get your history on Tether. You were here early on. Did you ever get approached to be an investor in Tether? What was your response to that? And what role maybe even diminishing role do you think it plays into the future? Oh yeah. So Tether, that's an interesting one. So, so I actually interviewed uh, Reeve Collins, who was one of the founders of Tether before Tether launched. And I, I previous to Bitcoin even coming out, I was an investor in goldmoney.com and they vaulted two and a half billion dollars of physical gold. They put it on the pallet, you know, they got audited every quarter you know, trying to do a digital currency thing, you know, so I've been in this space for a while. And my idea to Reeve was, you know, instead of adding a layer of risk with bank accounts, why don't you take the physical bills and vault them? You know, because they all got serial numbers and Mm -hmm. then you could audit them all and everything. And his response was very interesting that they wanted to be able to earn the interest on all these deposits that are in the bank, you know, because they're not paying Mm -hmm. the interest to the tether holders. And and would rather have the tether holders have that risk as opposed to just vaulting the actual physical bills, right? And there there seems to be demand to vault the physical bills because the there's a big pension fund that wanted to vault 10 million Swiss francs because of the negative interest rates, and the Swiss National Bank wouldn't give them the 10 million francs out of their account. <laughs> so so they're learning like they, they wanted proof of keys 
by taking possession of the Swiss francs. And the Swiss National Bank said, no, 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 no. You can't have them. That's why I'm a fan of dying away, man. Why tether yourself to a failing fiat currency held in banks that, you know, control the money? And, and manipulate things in so many different ways. Yeah, obviously, and, you get into and can be leaned on by regulators. It can the bank account could get frozen or seized? The tether holders themselves have like no claim on them. And can't. isn't this about sovereignty at the end of the day? Holding your money, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it just shows just how bad uh, dollars are in in bank accounts, <laughs> right? <laughs> that like there's enough demand for two and a half billion dollars of tethers or Paxos or like us usd circle or whatever but i i I mean i think these stable coins i think they're going to continue to grow because they add functionality and usefulness you can transfer value among exchanges and online a lot faster because i mean the current banking system is so bad like it's it's horrible and you know these these are a little bit better than that and a little bit faster and so you know but that's what we're seeing we're going to see lots of innovation and stuff and you know, and oh, and Ken, like, I'd love to do a show with you, but I'm traveling to DC and New York like this coming week. So I just like have no time in the schedule, like last minute with uh, with crypto here. So um, anyways, that's kind of my thoughts on Tether is like, why hold those things? And I guess maybe it's like a bunch of shady Chinese exchanges, like they can't get bank accounts like they they use Tether for the other side of the pair. Right. And and the and the Chinese or people in these countries, they can't get U.S. dollar bank accounts, but they want to have their capital stored in dollars because it's better than yuan or Venezuelan bolivars or whatever. So, you know, there's definitely like demand out there for it. It's just I don't know that it's like I wouldn't keep any of my money in it. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I'm sure there are privacy issues because it's easier to track oh, you depending where you send like USD circle. You've just tainted that Ethereum address. You have to be cautious, right? So oh, what do yeah. you do? What do you do to, uh, to protect your privacy? Is there like specific software you do or kind of, uh, you know, routines you carry out when moving crypto cryptos around? What role does privacy play in your life? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hodler of last resort. I don't really trade much at all. Um, like, not not really at all uh i've started trading on ledger x and then you know and ledger x the the bank account that you that your dollars are held in i actually went and got a bank account at that same bank and so it's just an intra account transfer at the same bank and you know and then from that bank account i can move it to other ones to pay taxes or whatever you know because i'm mean, gonna pay taxes when i have gains on these uh options that expire worthless um you know so that's at least kind of how i play it otherwise i mean i don't like i don't buy coffee with bitcoin and i don't want i don't want to have like all those transactions to have to do tax paperwork on you know so i mean i just don't really i just don't really engage with the bitcoin network in that type of a way i mean i definitely understand people who would um and and would want to but you know they they might not have the same type of reporting requirements like I do, you know, like Roger Ver, he, he gave up his U S citizenship. And so he doesn't have to report all these things anymore, you know, which is like all the power to him. Yeah. We heard about that yesterday. Some legislator Takahashi Fujimaki in Japan, who's 
proposing four amendments to take out the sales tax when using crypto, inter crypto tax, uh, you know, you'll be able to carry on your losses. That's insane, man. It almost makes me want to pull a Roger Veer here. Um, so well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's rumblings here, you know, like Wyoming. And uh, there was a US senator that wanted like a de minimis uh, exemption for crypto on IRS and stuff like that. So, I mean, maybe we'll get there. Who knows? Um, and I mean, I don't really have any reason to use like mixers or stuff like that. So like, I'm just not fluent in that type of stuff. And who knows, like Grin and Mimble Wimble could be coming down the pipeline, Lightning Network with its onion routing inside of it, each Chami and Ecash servers on top of Lightning Network. I mean, we got a lot of, I, I mean, I think I do, I do agree. We definitely need fungibility and, and, and anonymity type solutions baked in at the protocol level uh, as soon as we can safely do so. Um, sure. But writing that type of code and making sure that it's safe and secure uh, with formal mathematical proofs on some of the important areas uh, might be easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. And getting consensus on a hard fork <laughs> might be easier said yeah. than done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, and, and I'm glad you talked about Mimble Wimble because old crypto Greek geek wanted to know your thoughts on it. I don't know if you want to expand a little bit more about that and possibly possibility of integrating it into Bitcoin. Um, yeah, maybe not, what that is. Yeah. I mean, briefly. like not, I mean, it's definitely an R and D and I, I really like Andrew Palestra's work. Um, it, I mean, we're, we're running out of time. I got another interview here in a couple oh, yeah. minutes, but um, cool. yeah, we'll but, wrap up right now. But I mean, Grin and Mimblewimble, like they, they look really cool. And I think that side chains, you know, by being able to move Bitcoins over into them, we can then develop on those side chains. And then that, that actually might become like the new Bitcoin network, right? After it's proven itself safe and secure, you know, because then more Bitcoins can migrate into it and the old Bitcoin network can kind of, fade away, um, you know, because we got the new Bitcoins in over there. So, you know, I, I kind of see it as potentially like a, a way for the Bitcoin development process to happen um, in a because in a very safe, secure, like firewall type of way. Yeah, building it alongside. Well, Trace, I I, I just want to thank you again, man. You're you're the best voice. I mean, every, every time we come on, we could obviously chat for many hours. Your brain is filled with stuff. And thank you so much for taking the time. Just to, I mean, on on a short notice to come out uh, in between all your trips. And I hope you know you have a safe trip to Washington D.C., New York. And I catch is is it New York? Yeah, yeah, New York yeah. City, like into the snow. <laughs> oh, this ought to be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, man, uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, and uh, everybody else who made it out, thank you so much. Sorry if we didn't get to some of your questions, but hopefully we can get Trace on again, you know, in a few months later on down the road to see where we're at at that point. But I think we got some great nuggets as usual from you, Trace, and I hope you have a great interview yeah. as well coming up next. Yeah, so, so you know, want to invite everybody, like, join us on the battlefield to declare your monetary sovereignty. Proofofkeys.com, January 3rd. Every year, like I think it would just be the coolest like crypto tradition for us to start. Absolutely. We should do a biannual afterwards. <laughs> Anyways, uh, take care, everybody. Thank you for making it out and stay cryptic. Peace. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at Bitcoin.kn.
don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. Yeah.